I was like, can you fire me? They're like, why would we fire you? If you fire me, I can get unemployment and I can leverage that unemployment. It'll buy me some time to start this business. So they're like, they're like slapping me on the back. Like, dude, of course we'll fire you. They're like, we're going to fire the shit out of you. I'm like, yeah, do it. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. Explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, a big warm welcome to another Smarter Destiny podcast, where today we have my special friend, Eric Toz. He is a legend. Uh, He has been in the online selling space helping, uh, should we say, sell the tools that help the gold rushers get their gold um, (laughs) for a while now. He's raised a ton of money. He's been very, very influential in a number of companies and is currently crushing it at at shineon.com, which is a company that he is the uh, co-founder and owner and and so on um, of and so he's helping a lot of e-commerce guys on a daily basis and really does know the industry inside out and so we've got a lot that we're going to cover today we've been chatting off air we've got some really really cool stories that we're going to you know tease out of Eric Um, and so without further ado Eric how are you? Martin pleasure to pleasure to be doing this with you and I think I'm going to steal that line with a Providing pans and uh, and strainers to the gold rushers. I that's uh, I love that. <laughs> you can have it. I've definitely stolen it. Like definitely have no claim to to that anyway. So so whereabouts are you in the world right now? Uh, I'm actually sitting in our factory in New Jersey. Um, so we're uh, our, I'm the founder of ShineOn.com, which is uh, a couple things. First and foremost is we are our own personalization factory. Um, so we do um, personalized jewelry as a service. Um, we also personalize other smaller gifts, um, like watches. It's actually like one of our engraved watches. Nice. Um, we do graphic jewelry here, uh, and then we also do all pretty much any jewelry you can imagine. We can reverse engineer it and set up the supply chain in like a day for digital wow. marketers. We only work with digital marketers. Like I don't even talk to people in the jewelry industry. Like I just don't care <laughs> uh, about you know. Everyone's like, "Oh, my aunt does jewelry. You should totally meet her." I'm like, "Eh, that's okay. I really like want to just talk to marketers all day long." But this is like um, uh, personalized with birthstone uh, ring, and then uh, we actually just started giving out these uh, free gold bars to our uh, our seller base. So I, I like thought that, that was funny yeah, just- that it's gold. <laughs> so um so we are definitely going to get um get into that and we're going to we're going to go deep into shineon.com but let's go back first cuz what we love to do on these these interviews is to get to know the the expert that we have before us and understand the why behind their decisions and their success and so i know you've been in this industry for um quite a while now um can you take us back to the time where potentially there was like you you set foot on a new journey um and uh, started delving into the the supplying of uh, service or materials or something in the in in the industry, the most sort of um, relevant time like that, and just tell us where you are, who you're working for, and 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 when is this? Well, I've only I've only been working in like e-commerce, which I consider like you know Facebook ads, Shopify, direct response, and also providing services for these people 
Um, I've only been in that industry for about three years. Um, but the previous six or seven, um, I was actually working for venture funded startup comp uh, tech companies. So I, I worked at two prior to shineon.com. And I think it was just that um, I was just in an area where this was prevalent. I was I lived between Harvard and MIT up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And, uh, and that's the third highest um, city for like venture capital in the whole world. And this was this was right around like uh, 2013, 2014, when uh, I think it was, there was just way more deals happening and not all the good ideas were taken yet. Like Lyft was like getting funded at we were part of Google's portfolio with like Lyft at Lyft got funded at the same time. So it was like it was a crazy time. And um, I was very fortunate that I was in that area because I was actually the first employee at a website called Custom Made dot com, which um, at the beginning was just this sort of website that featured all of these different woodworkers. And um, I came in like a bat out of hell. I was 22. I wouldn't there was something about the domain that I loved. And I wouldn't I wouldn't not let those people um, I wouldn't not let the two founders hire me. I was like, no, you don't get it. You have to hire me like they actually said no at the beginning. And I was like, I don't think you understand like and I was like writing emails like this long about what I would do. And so um, I actually left the company. Uh, I left the startup I was working for previously and they were kind of assholes to me. So I actually didn't even give them any um, leave of notice. I just started working for custom made like the next day after I interviewed. Um, and so I was very fortunate to be part of uh, a company that started from really nothing and then I got to see all stages of growth really early on from a seed round of funding to a series A and then to a series B um, where we actually raised $18 million from Google. Wow. And so, uh, you know, each time you level up, there's like uh, a new set of problems that you have to, to work on. Um, and how I transitioned from sort of custom made and like um, venture capital world, I guess you want to call it, to working with e-commerce folks is um, the, the custommade.com is essentially a high-end Etsy where we had all these distributed artisans. Um, we had about 30,000 super high-end makers. So custom furniture makers, glass blowers, metal smiths, and then um, custom jewelry was actually our number one category. So we had 10,000 um, jewelers on the site um, who myself and my team recruited. And so um, at one point we were actually burning a million dollars a month uh, like losing a million dollars a month, which is like, that's the norm. You know, when you raise big money, it's just spend, 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 and you're either going to be a rocket ship and you're going to take off quickly, or you're going to fail fast, which actually, uh, isn't a problem for a venture capitalist because at least they can move on to the next thing. Um, and so it was failing because people had a decision deciding which artisan would they would go to commission their custom piece. So a buyer was getting like decision paralysis. So I was like, guys, this is crazy. Um, you know, forget all the makers, the artisans. Like, why don't we become the? Why don't we vertically integrate the supply chain and um, make everything ourselves? Make it like a guaranteed experience and also um, take a higher margin. We were only taking ten percent from the platform as a commission before. And then um, we were starting to take like 30% margin uh, when we were, when I set up the supply chain. Um, 
So that was something I had no idea about. I was like, guys, we got to set up our own supply chain. And the two founders, you know, we were like basically a three person team. They're like, all right, um, go do that. And I was like, cool. So I flew to Thailand. I like learned everything about jewelry production. I flew to Serbia and got uh, hooked up with like a 3D modeling team. And so I started, I set up the supply chain where the customer would say, hey, I want to get this piece custom made. And uh, we had crazy requests. Like we did actually a lot of R2-D2 engagement rings, like Star Mm -hmm. Wars, Star Trek, a lot of science fiction jewelry. And so I would show them a render. I was like, hey, is this what you wanted? Like, yes, that's it. I'd be like, great. Hit the buy button now. They're like, okay. Mm -hmm. So it was just crushing the conversion. And this was in like 2015, right when like Teespring started exploding and it got to, and they were only an hour away in Providence, Rhode Island. And I was like, I want to go do that model working with Facebook marketers and I want to, but I want to do it for jewelry. So the vision for me is actually unwavered. Um, when I rate, when I raised money for shineon.com, uh, it was actually the same pitch as like, Hey, we're Teespring for jewelry. And so I actually left custom made. I took a, a few people on my team that I was working with and brought them over to shine on. And, um, and then, yeah, we've been Teespring for jewelry. And it's funny that we're actually doing this interview today because yesterday Teespring actually announced our partnership, their partnership with us. Oh, wow. um, Congrats. You can see it. You can see it on their blog and on their YouTube channel. So um, it's just kind of serendipity that it's all come full circle. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 amazing. So because presumably you were like in conversation with them because they were just an hour away and 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 reaching out to them, or did they? Was that completely unexpected? Well, at the time, you know, this was it. Um, the, I started the company in like January 2016, but before then, I was talking with some employees from Teespring, and um, Teespring actually left. They actually went to San Francisco um, because they themselves had just raised like 50 million. Um, and so they wanted to be in Silicon Valley and, you know, be really cool. Um, but they left a lot of like high quality people behind in Rhode Island. And so I started kind of, um, connecting with these people, snatched up a few of them and just sort of learned about, um, Facebook marketing back then. It was like, you know, your organic post would reach a hundred percent of people. And it was just like shooting fish in a barrel. Now it's a, a lot more strategic, but, um, that's what sort of got me, got me started. Yeah, fantastic. And so, what was your role um, in custom made, or, or was it literally just everything, any like anything and everything? Well, honestly, like at the beginning, we were us. Um, we would get artisans to subscribe to an advertising site. Um, but it had really good, like this is sort of an older term, but it had really good link juice. Like right. it had really good SEO. Like anything you put in custom made. So I w- was legitimately making a hundred phone calls a day to people saying like, like at the beginning it was just woodworkers. So it'd be like, I'd be on the phone like, hey, is Randy there? Like, yeah, this is Randy. I'm like, Randy, like, did you get my email? Like, um, you know, I I love your Babinga cherry wood rocking chair. Like, that's amazing. When did you make that? And like, oh yeah, like I made that piece back in like 99. And, and then I would just like shoot the shit for a bit. And I'm like, dude, you got to get on custommade.com. You make like custom made stuff. And so well, I was like selling website subscriptions to old, usually old woodworkers who had never used the internet before. Like I literally had to tell people how to turn their computer on <laughs> and like who were also broke and it was in a recession. And myself and my sales team, we actually onboarded 30,000 people of these people, artisans. 
and the first 10,000 were paying. And so I actually didn't even know how to sell back then. I was just so excited about like getting people involved with this company that it, it sort of came naturally. And um, that first year, I was like 22, I took a thousand credit card uh, numbers over the phone. And I would not replace that. I would not replace that sort of cold calling experience with anything that that experience like changed everything for me. Just like how to how to connect with people, how to network, um, like not being afraid at all, like to do stuff because I would get shit on all all day long on the phone. Um, and then even like raising money, like all this stuff directly translates. So I actually recommend most people if they can early on just do sales for a year like any kind of sales and um, I think it actually makes you a better person too because nice. you have to you have to be a good listener and so um, this is obviously a, um, a pivotal pivotal year for you in, in the fact that you were doing the sales and, and doing it so successfully by the sounds of things is there any kind of um, big takeaways that or big learnings that you um, had from from that experience like maybe your, the three biggest things that you learned or something that might help someone else get started as a, as a selling over uh, the phone um, well I think I was there for five years at custom made and I did a lot of different things. I, I transitioned from phone sales. Like I, uh, at one point I ran the customer support team. At one point I actually was the head, um, like the head of HR, like, because we had a real issue, um, competing for tech talent, like developers. So I, rec I was in charge of the team that would recruit developers as well. Um, so I was very fortunate. Look, like it was just sort of, I was the right person that met the right company at the right time. Um, but I was very aggressive in finding that company. But the biggest thing I sort of extracted from that is from that experience is like, just focus on one metric at each stage of your growth. You really just have to focus on one metric. So the only reason why we were able to raise 18 million from Google is because um, myself and my team, we were onboarding makers like these artisans, we were onboarding them at such a rapid pace. And like each one of these artisans had a lifetime value, you know? So it, we were hockey sticking our growth as far as makers go. We went from like zero to 30,000 in like first year or two. Um, and so a lot of times when you're raising money and you can read about this on my website, erictaz.com, I have a whole article about six steps to raise venture capital, but, um, if you can just select your one metric at a, t at a time and just hone down on that, then you can be very, very successful. Fantastic. Yeah. I like that. And so um, at, at some point you decided um, that you wanted to do it for yourself. Was there any kind of decision there um, or any kind of um, thing that's, that stimulated that decision? Or was it just like, hey, do you know what? I can do this all. Um, you know, I want to do it for myself. Um. I don't know if it was so much doing it for myself rather than like, you know, custom made at scale. We the the marketplace didn't really work out. I mean, we were burning like a million dollars a month, um, like I mentioned wow. earlier. And um, and so we didn't know if we were going to make this transition fast enough. And I was just so fired up about like the new thing. Right. I was so fired up about wanting to take my experience and morph it into what Teespring had done. So I think I was just more excited about like the the potential opportunity than saying like 
oh, I'm not happy here, or my bosses didn't treat me well, or I just want to do this on my own. I think it was just, I saw an opportunity and, um, I just went for it and I've just been unwavering in that, uh, vision since. Fantastic. And so, um, talk us through that, that starting point. So, I mean, so you, so you've left this job, um, and, and now you're, you're starting something which, you know, with, with big ambitions, how did you how did you approach this this new startup in terms of like you know like i don't know getting funding um you know that first that first four to six weeks in particular is is tricky right you're going at going at it alone this is for the first time how did you approach this new challenge oh man i mean it was tough like i i was super broke like starting it early on because um when i told my partners um, the two co-founders, I was like, Hey, I want to leave. Um, I was like, can you fire me? Uh, they're like, why, why would we fire you? I'm like, well, if I, you know, you know, I've been wanting to go and do this. Um, if you fire me, I can get unemployment and I can leverage that unemployment. It'll buy me some time to start this business. So they're like, they're like slapping me on the back. Like, dude, of course we'll fire you. I'm like, sweet. It was like so funny. It was like, dude, like we're going to fire the shit out of you. I'm like, yeah, do it. And so they like, uh, you know, I was fired and, um, and then, you know, they, they actually invested in, in a little bit in shineon.com. But, uh, immediately after that, I went to, I backpacked Europe for two months and, uh, I just wanted to take a break cause it was hardcore for five years straight. Like no, like I didn't even take a vacation, really, like a real vacation. And so I kind of took a, a break and I came back and I was still like, yep, I'm 27. Like, this is the perfect time to do this. You know, I don't have a house. I don't have a wife or anything at the time. So I just sort of went for it. And I moved to, from Boston to Brooklyn. And um, eventually, like, the money ran out. Like, I ran out of unemployment money. I ran out of that sort of... Um, small investment from um, my two uh, former co-founders and so I was like dead in the water trying to get shine on off the ground um, and so I actually started selling um, motorcycle rings to motorcycle clubs because I was like what's something I can make quick cash from so I started hitting up like you know because I'm used to cold calling I started reaching out to the head of these motorcycle clubs like all over the nation. I was like, dude, like, do you guys have rings for your club? Uh, I would love to make custom make you some motorcycle rings. So I set up the site Ring Around, and that was like all we did was motorcycle rings for motorcycle clubs. So I did it for like six or seven clubs, including like an awesome club called uh, the Buffalo Soldiers, which had like 3,000 members. So with that one deal, you know, I made like two, 300 rings. Um, I wasn't making them. I was having them made in Thailand um, with a reputable company, but I was like paying my rent. I was paying my rent. I was like continuing my supply chain connections at the time. Um, I was doing adult stuff like, you know, I was getting my own, the, the business bank account set up, getting like a business credit card and like all these really early lessons, you know, tripping up, like um, setting up LLC and like all this sort of early stuff, like Man, uh, I've been through so much um, since then, but like those early experiences, like everyone uh, should go through at least once in their life because it's a real learning experience. Um, but about a year, about a year after I left Custom Made was when I started 
pulling in these Teespring people. Um, and so I hired a couple Teespring people, and that was enough, I think, of a pitch just for these venture capitalists in New York to um, do a deal with me. So at Shana, we raised $1.3 million in a seed round. And, um, and that, you know, and then it was sort of off to the races from there. Yeah. Wow. So, um, I mean, real quick question. Obviously, you know, you've got thick skin in terms of the, you know, the, the, the responses you might get from cold calls by this point. But other responses, the rejections from like heads of motorbike clubs, a little <laughs> bit more, uh, you know, painful sometimes. No, I mean, it's just, it's not more painful. It's just a different kind of response because they'd like answer and sometimes be like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. And I would like play along with it. I'm like, I'm like, dude, who are you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be like, I, I don't know. I would always just, uh, I would always have an excuse to call. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would never do a cold call without having some sort of excuse. So usually my excuse was like, Hey, dude, did you get my email? Like, I sent you a, a personal email. Like, I thought what you're doing is really cool. Um, so, at that point, it's just building, like, making a friend. You know, mm -hmm. I want to, like, it's like friends first. Just make a friend first and then do business later. And, like, even with my partnerships today, like the one with Teespring, um, it was like, I just want to be friends with you first. Like, we'll worry about business later. Like, I'm actually really interested in, your story you know like so that's how i treat everything now is friends first and i actually got that lesson from a friend of mine um fred mosler who's he's the co-founder of zappos.com and a, like a mentor of mine and still today with their, all their vendors they're like friends first always i love yeah. that all right so um that's super interesting. I've got, I've got to, I've got to ask two more excuses that you might have because I've never heard that where it's just like straight in. It's like, oh, dude, I sent you an email or something. Did you have any other things up your sleeve that often worked? Um, <clears throat> it's either like, hey, did you get my email? Um, oh, yeah, this is funny. Um, there's some software tools where there's some ESPs actually out there, um, inter, uh, email service providers that uh, you can track like who's on your site right now. So I actually had this tool where we'd mass send out emails and then I could see all the, like an AOL buddy list from back in the day. I could see who was on the site right now. So I'd call them up and um, I'd be like, hey, is Bob there? Like, yeah, this is Bob. I'm like, hey, this is Eric from custommade.com or this is Eric from Ringaround. And I would mm -hmm. just let them chill for a second. And they'd be like, Oh my God, I'm on your website right now. I'm like, no way, that's fucking crazy. Oh my God, what are the odds? <laughs> so it was like instantly we were both like, holy shit, this is like serendipity. Uh, and they had like no idea, obviously. <laughs> so that was like, you know, it was like almost meant to be that we were talking. And that was like the best thing for sales ever. That's amazing. <laughs> so you would have their email address and their phone number, right? From like, the, or, or whatever, from the, the list you, be, you bought so that you could see this email is on my site. Yeah. And I actually used to run, um, I ran a, a team of 20 Filipinos um, where we had this whole crazy like scraping, scraping, vetting, um, and emailing system where like we were getting at one point hundreds of thousands of leads and we were qualifying them ourselves. 
and then we were emailing them. And the best thing to do is like, um, I this this email tip crushes it if you're like scraping or you're like emailing businesses or whatever. So in the case of custom made, in our CSV when we scraped all this data from like these websites, uh, we would have a field called the I love your field. And so we would insert that into the title of the email. So be like, hey, Randy, I love your cherry wood rocking chair or whatever. And then in the email, be, hey, Randy, I saw your cherry wood rocking chair. And so it's just what I told the Philippine people who were on that um, portion of the, of the scraping is go find something you really love on that person's website because the, the open rates were like 50%. Because wow. somebody be like, wow, somebody really appreciates like my work, what I'm doing. So if it's like authors, you could go and pick out one of the books, you know, or like whatever, you know, just go pick out something that you actually like and design this. And then you're doing this system at scale. You're getting like 50% open rates and um, really great reply rates. Um, we would send out the emails like, no, do not do if you're like spamming people for leads like never put um like your signature like don't put your signature don't put any html in the email just do plain text with like eric so it looks like it's from your personal gmail like because the whole point is you just want to get a response that's it you yeah. just get a response yeah wow that's absolute gold i'm I definitely um uh, it's super interesting and but you know it's about making it relevant right we're all super tuned in to, to spam and and when you get like dear i like the ones where like the the, the dynamic tags failed and it's like dear first name you know sort of thing so yeah, bad yeah. was just on your site and really you know uh, you know whatever some people do it good i i respect the ones that do it well like mm. and i respond sometimes yeah well, I the ones that do it well you might not know that they're doing it exactly so um so okay so you were so you were using ring around to um to 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 pay the rent at this point so you've you've got shine on running you've got ring around uh, to pay the rent you've probably learned some more some new swear words from the people that you're calling and yep. uh, <laughs> um and and now you've raised what do you say 1.7 mil uh 1.3 1.3 mil so uh, talk to us a little bit about about that experience so like, first of all i mean I guess it's just in your blood at this point to to think like because you'd raised so much money before like okay we should we need to raise but how did you you know go about as like a fairly new company um, how did you do that? Well, I had a you know I had experience from custom made like I was able to you know be in meetings with these venture capitalists and sort of see how they work and um, you know I even when I was raising for Shine On I was still consulting with my, you know, two co-founders from custom-made on how to raise money. And the one thing, I think the one thing you need to know when you're raising money is you're creating a market out of thin air for your business, right? You're creating a market that never existed before. And you're creating fault, a fake urgency to get the deal done. Okay. So it's like, how do you how do you create this market? How do you create this deal? And it's it's really all about momentum. Um, so at first, nobody gives a shit about you. And it took me over, you know, I did over 50 calls and uh, in-person meetings with venture capitalists before I got my first yes. Okay. So no matter what you do, it's going to be a slog. 
Um, then after you get your first yes, it's sort of like getting into Harvard where it's really, really hard to get into Harvard. But once you're in, like the schoolwork isn't as hard as you would imagine. It like gets almost easier. The hard part's getting in. So once you break through, um, and if your lead investor is really reputable, um, that's a huge bonus because now you're sort of qualified. You've been vetted by somebody else. And venture capitalists, a lot of times, if they're not, um, if they don't like to be a, a lead investor and they like to do just follow-ons with other people, then uh, it becomes a lot easier because they don't really care about your pitch. They care who else is in the deal because it's like, oh, if this person is investing in this person, then cool. I'll give my thumbs up and I'll send my wire today. So it's like, you know, it becomes a lot easier and you can gain momentum. And every additional person you get to say yes to your deal, it becomes easier and then it snowballs. And then it gets to the point where you can actually be a little bit cocky and be like, Jim, you know, we've been talking for like three weeks now. Like you need to give me like, give me your answer. Are you in this deal or not? Because I got like four other people to talk to after you. Right. So the, the power structure sort of changes as as you go through this experience. And that's where the false sense of urgency comes in. It's because like, dude, this round is closing on July 14th. Like, um, I just need to know if you're in or out, man. Like, it's cool. Like, if you don't want to be in, that's cool. Like, so you could, uh, you, I have a whole article about these sort of uh, tactics that a lot of other people don't talk about. These are sort of the this the this more the sales tactic tactics and the psychology of it, other than the sort of business metrics and all of that. I like yeah. that. And uh, listeners and watchers can view that at erictoz.com, right? Eric with a C T O Z dot com. Yep. Nice. As you were saying that, I was remembering. Uh, have you have you seen the TV show Silicon Valley? Yeah. Yeah, like I'll, where they're raising money and they start getting yeses and um and the uh the the C uh, whatever whatever the um the hairy guy is who I think his name his name might be Eric as well actually in the show yeah. and he just gets ruder uh, and ruder and ruder the more rude yeah. he gets the more yeses he gets as well like dude it's like uh it's like dating in high school like like uh nobody wants you until somebody else is with you right yeah. when you they start seeing you with this one girl all the other girls are like whoa there's like what's going on with him you know so it's just like dating in high school yeah yeah and i suppose if you were the most popular <laughs> girl even more girls or whatever in theory right I'd, yeah i didn't i didn't experience that myself but you know i was i was a total loser like so yeah <laughs> me neither <laughs> um and so so you so you managed to to um you know raise this capital a phenomenal um you know effort and i imagine a huge relief um and and now you now you're getting into um shineon.com so what does now now, now presumably you're pro progressing quite quickly um and so so from that point however long ago that was please tell us um to sort of like the progression from them what does that look like um as far as uh as far as like financing the business well so so you raised that money when was that what was the day of that uh so that was january 2016 okay so so from that gone yeah. yep yeah mm -hmm. and so from that point um you then probably you progressed quite a bit more and you mentioned earlier on that you recruited some of the old teespring guys out of rhode island and and so on like like what else did you yep. do in that sort of period well i learned a lot like i really cut my teeth that um raising venture money is actually it can be quite dangerous because 
you have all this free cash, you're encouraged to spend it. And a lot of times you're not actually, you're not focusing activities that are actually making a profitable business, right? You're like buying PR, you're hiring expensive people, um, and you're burning, you're kind of burning all this cash quickly, but you're not really laying the foundation for a profitable business. So we actually spent most of that money in the first year. And then um, I had to sort of transition to figuring out, okay, how do I build this for the long term? And how can I, you know, start focusing on things like gross and net margins, um, focusing on, on things like uh, lines of credit and, and, and term loans and like sort of like more old school business. So yes, we started with venture capital, but now we're growing the business almost in an old school sort of way, which I really appreciate. Um, and like my grandfather had a company called Package Machinery, where they literally made packaging for machines. Like it's just so old school. And, um, you know, I'm a huge, my favorite author of all time is Dale Carnegie who wrote all of his books in the 1930s. And so, you know, uh, there's all the sexy stuff that's going on, venture capital and like uh, massive scaling with Facebook and all that. But I really appreciate some of the more old school fundamentals of business now. And I'm seeing how important it is to start, start your business by really, I mean, the number one thing is just really focusing on, on um, margin. And, uh, and focusing on a profitable business from day one. If you have extra cash that you've raised, great. Like, just sit on it. Like, don't do anything with it. Just, you know, don't blow it out and hire quickly. Be really efficient with that money in the beginning. Because when you start to figure out the profitable business model, you can leverage that cash to grow quickly once you haven't figured it out. Once you haven't figured it out, as, uh, instead of burning it inefficiently at the beginning, so I would say hire slow, fire fast. Yeah. Nice. And was there any, um, was there any sort of things, um, like other things that you did during that period that probably with a second go around, you, you would have done it differently that people could maybe learn from? Well, at the beginning, like, um, yeah, I think the, the biggest, my biggest mistake, I think, in, uh, with Shine On was like not having a real solid development team uh, set in stone from the beginning and having like a real sort of tech strategy because we actually started with a platform, shineon.com, which you could sell through. And uh, we had like a spaghetti, they call it a spaghetti code base because it's just like kind of a mess. And so uh, we actually had to blow, blow up that whole platform and transition to a Shopify app, which was much easier to set up. Um, and you know, now we have a technical strategy that's built for scale, which is why we're bringing back the shineon.com platform in the next month or two, because we finally um, set ourselves up for success. So I think that was my biggest mistake at the beginning was um, hiring just like kind of low level inexperienced developers, although they're less expensive. Um, the most important thing you can do, I think, for your business is get like get a technical person on your team who is native to your country because if they if if they can understand the business use case and like why we're why we're building these things instead of just saying hey I need you to go build this stuff like they'll start they'll start doing things without you asking for them if they really understand you and they're like your partner like 
they'll start to figure out tech solutions on their own and they'll just say, hey, I did this because of X reason instead of me telling them what to do. So I think the ROI, you know, if you're if you have a developer that's a hundred thousand dollars, I think the ROI on that can be actually much higher than the developer that's forty thousand um, dollars. So that's yeah, uh, that and like getting getting a good attorney. Yeah, like don't hire the cheap. You'll you'll pay a lot more later um, by hiring like the cheapest attorneys. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I definitely want to delve into that, but it's it's definitely what you um, true what you say about um, uh, developers. I mean, you know, I own a software company, right? And we, you know, we we right. hire developers. And actually, um, one of the big biggest failings I see with other with other um, people that use you know develop any kind of software is they'll often make the mistake of not only saying kind of um, what they want the functionality of the software to to be, but also they begin to to step over the line of telling them how they should make it do that right and and that and that bit's the scene. yeah you know that's the bit of the developer right you should be leaning on them to 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 figure out the the most the optimal way the lightest way the you know the most lightweight way and so on to 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 yeah. achieve the goal and so if you can focus on that this is what i want to achieve right here's here's what we need to be hitting we want to be hitting this page load speed we want to be hitting uh this speed with in terms of api calls this server load this you know whatever right all of the metrics now yes. you know how do you suggest we go about doing that and then letting them come up with a plan for for the implementation it's like saying yeah. to a builder hey build me a house um oh and you should put this brick here and this brick here and then use this kind of filler and this window yeah. you know and it's like let them do them right exactly and so i go that and I like I I started bringing our uh, our some members on our tech team. I started bringing them to these ecom events, nice. right? Because it's like they understand the mindset of a seller. Like, so everything we do is like, it's it's for sellers, man. It's like I really care about helping other people make money, and I know like we'll get we'll get back what we want the more people that we help. So and the more people that we make rich. Like it'll all come back to us uh, at some point, so I'm not worried. Yeah, I'm not worried about Shine On making like the craziest profits right now. I'd rather keep growing our. I'd rather reinvest in growing our team. Um, we have like 40 people on payroll now, and like to me, that feels a lot better than us, you know, doing bottle service like every night. We're not like about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so the other thing you said was um, you would have invested more into attorneys. What kind of um, what kind of legal things have you have you found that you needed the, the best attorneys for? Hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I think that you can when you're starting out and you're really young and it's like your first business you you don't have i mean you don't have any experience like so you could get sort of bullied when you're mm, doing a deal like a partnership deal when you're like the smaller fish in the deal right um or if you're actually raising money like i mean raising raising money is uh there's usually covenants involved with it which is like you can do this and you can't do this and you have to get approval for all these things so i mean i still have technically i still have bosses today right mm. like like I, our investors are my bosses, right? So, um, but with the contract, you you can just make it more fair. And if you pair up with an experienced attorney, they'll make you, uh, they'll accelerate your experience. And they'll say, no, this is like, 
a really bad deal for you. Like you don't want to do it this way. So, uh, like a less experienced attorney, they won't set you up for success. They'll just get the thing done, which is sometimes it's, you need to just do that. But it's more of like a good attorney is like your business strategist, right? They really are like, they're like the most, your corporate attorney is your business strategist. And so I bounce things off our corporate attorney all the time. And they actually have really great like business ideas sometimes too, because they're, they're doing deals. Like they're doing deals all day long. Like they've seen a lot. Um, so they're like a huge like weapon in your tool belt. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Okay. And so, um, shine on right now. Um, uh, like fast forward to today, what um, what kind of customers are you serving? What sort of um, uh, perhaps what sort of size are they, and what and what services are you offering like right now to people? Um, sure, yeah. So the Shopify app. Um, so you know we we've spent zero money on acquisition. We have like five thousand people uh, stores using the app, and all of that was through word of mouth, organic. You know, every day we get like over 20 people installing our app, which isn't even in the app store. Wow. Like it's not, it's not in the Shopify app store. So the word gets out that because we manufacture everything ourselves, which is like the hard way to do things, like almost every other platform is just, it's a hub. Like, you know, the orders come in and then they outsource it to print shops and stuff. Um, but we're really, we're really well known for our quality um, and doing things the right way that um, we get all these sort of word of mouth um, referrals. But pretty soon, you know, you'll start seeing ads from us. Um, we're just sort of, we've got enough experience where we sort of, we're prepping for scale. Um, so, you know, it's my goal to have 50,000 people with the app installed and um, hopefully another 50,000 on the shineon.com platform, like if they can't get Stripe or whatever. Um, and so, that can be quite difficult prepping for scale, especially when you're making your own stuff. Mm. Um, but making your own stuff, it kind of, uh, it allows us to be really creative in our marketing. Like we can develop products faster than anybody. Um, you know, we're going to launch like 12 new products here leading up to Christmas or more, including like the, I guess the, the industry's first free plus ship item from the U S uh, which I think is going to go bonkers. Like it's it's going to be crazy. Um, it's a really high quality product for super cheap, shipped in like two days, uh, which no one's ever done. So um, that's that's sort of where we're going and just diversifying the products. Like we became known for being like the jewelry people on Shopify, but we're diversifying into all sorts of person, really personalized products. Is is our wheelhouse and. Um, I'm a huge believer in per, uh, personalized products because they're timeless. Like they'll sell, they'll always sell because um, people always need gifts um, like all year, all year round. And like any new product that we create has to have some sort of element of per, buyer side personalization because we're seeing take rates as high, um, like engraving our take rates 30%. Um, and that's just free money for people. Right. So that's a free 20 bucks every sale, you know, divided by three, like every unit sold from us, you're making extra seven dollars profit. So while our base costs are usually a tiny bit more because it's all made by us, 
me. In the in the US here, bless you. <laughs> yeah, like, I muted so that you didn't have to listen to it. Hopefully. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So sometimes while the initial base cost is better, like our main focus is on we want to give you all these upsells, right? And so all these new products, we actually built all our own sales pages for every new product that we introduce. That's the only way to get like, um, you know, like the data back. So this is like two different months of uh, birthstones. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do, how do we get that information back to our factory so that we can assemble it? Like the only way to do it is if we launch the Shine On product page, which will actually overtake your standard Shopify page. And so we have a we do conversion testing, A/B testing on those pages full time. So I don't know. I think I just I want to do all the hard things that aren't easy. Like I want to do them in house because these are the things that help sellers make more money. Um, and uh, hopefully we're known as like being the guys that do the hard things and do the the caring things you know love that i love that all right okay so um so if you want to check out um eric's uh business shineon.com is the is the domain for that and um yeah if you want to sell custom jewelry and so real quick what what's your best selling uh, piece say this year like what what are you seeing as being really, really popular in terms of a product um yeah so like um, all time, the most popular is just a standard heart necklace, like a, a, a print on demand heart shaped necklace. Um, the, I don't know. The thing just slams and it's actually counterintuitive, but the more like text, the more, the more, excuse me, the more words you have like on your piece, um, it actually sells better than having less words. So if you're like telling a poem uh, like you could literally go to Google and be like um, romantic poems or romantic uh, quotes, sentimental mm. quotes. Just take a sentimental quote and throw it on like a necklace. And uh, there's a good chance that you can make a lot of money if it's a really broad audience. So we're seeing like our best audiences are usually gifting like to my wife, to my daughter, to my husband, to my son with like a, a quote underneath that headline. So that'll work all day long. Love yeah. it. I love it. All right, so now we're going to change uh, pace for a moment and we're going to go into the rapid fire question uh, section of the of the interview. I'm going to ask them quick. You can take as long as you want uh, to answer. Are you ready? Thumbs up. Let's do it, man. Yeah, love it. Right, okay, so first up, are there any unusual things you eat or drink regularly and why? Yeah, I think, uh, I, I, you know, like a lot of folks, I started getting into intermittent fasting and um, most of the population like thinks that's weird. I'm like, no, I'm not eating today. They're like, what? Like, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, I'm not eating today. Like, um, I feel like I think maybe once a month or twice a month, I'll go like a whole Sunday without food. Um, just research research has shown that um, helps your body heal. Um, just taking a break, like your digestive system isn't just uh, churning when it's not doing that, it can focus on healing other things. And I feel really good. Like the next day after I have like amazing energy. So that would be the weird, like eating kind of habit that I have. Love that. How, how do you get yourself into a state of flow? Um, so like I, I, I go to a meditation, um, class like once a week and, uh, I recommend that everybody sort of 
try meditation, but I don't. I think the apps like Calm and that they're just like the McDonald's of meditation. Like it's, you know, it's. I don't think it's actually that helpful. Like maybe it is, but um, real meditation, um, real meditation when you're um, uh, in the type that I practice is called Shine. But what that what that's helped me do is like if I'm really stressed out or I'm not flowing or like actually before a big phone call or like before a big deal, if I'm like signing a deal or something. Sometimes I'll just go sit on the cushion for like seven or eight minutes and um, not think like I don't try to I don't allow I allow thoughts to come in and out, but I don't I don't um, go deeper with them. I don't like attach myself to thoughts because your mind can your mind is like working on problems in the background all the time even if you're not focusing on them directly it's like going sleeping on it mm. um you can sleep on it like throughout your day if you're if you do little meditation breaks and so sometimes i'll come out of like doing a quick meditation and i'll be like bam that's the answer like we're doing this because you're not it's like your gut that's telling you the answer not your brain like mm. And there's actually, you know, there's more serotonin in your gut than in your brain. Like your, when we were little worms organisms, your gut was your first brain. So that's why they say your gut is usually right, is because you're not overanalyzing it. Usually the first thing is, is the right answer. And uh, there's also a book called The Five Second Rule, which is like, uh, you may have heard of it, it's pretty popular, but it's like when you, how you feel in the first five seconds of somebody telling you something, that's usually the right answer. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Well, we're definitely going to get into books um, in, a, in a moment or two as well. What, next question, what habit, what habit or opinion do you have that other people tend to disagree with? One practice I, I like to sort of instill, or it's just like a mindset thing, because um, like not a lot of, not a lot of uh, employees have worked for like a tech company or a, a company that can scale really quickly. Um, most of them are just used to, most people in their regular jobs are just used to doing the job and getting it done for that day. But I have to sort of reframe for people sometimes like, hey, no, like we have to think about how we're going to do this for 10,000 people. However, we do it for 10,000 people, we need to implement that system now when we're at 100 people. And so the term I use is like, we need to expedite the inevitable. If it's inevitable that we're going to be there, we have to expedite that process and do it now. Because expediting the inevitable will help us get there quicker. So of course. it's I like, like a mind. Yeah, and, and it saves you having to like um, basically undo the thing that you did for the first 1,000 people because you're now at a larger, larger scale. It makes absolute sense. If you ran a school but could only teach one non-traditional lesson, what would that be? <sighs> well, like... <laughs> honestly I think um, you know I have like a health science degree so I've literally never used my degree for a single thing um, but I if there was a school it would just be like you know just like how to make money like different ways to make money like make money quickly because at the end of the day like making money and having that resource will like allow you to do whatever you want in the future um, so I feel like a, it's a, it's, I usually tell, yeah, 
a lot of like a few years ago, people were like, everyone should learn how to code. And I'm like, why? Like pretty soon AI is going to be coding for us. And it's just going to be like, like little pink and blue interfaces that we use to type what we want to have built. Right. So like right now I tell people like people that aren't in our industry, I'm like, just learn Facebook ads, dude. Like if you're in a bind, if you need to, to make some money, like just knowing the basics of Facebook ads is a great um, tool to sort of save yourself or if you like want to transition, like just knowing that is such a valuable skill. But in the future, it'll, you know, maybe it's not Facebook ads. Maybe in the future, it's like some new skill that, you know, everyone should have. Maybe it's, you know, I don't, I don't know what it's going to be. But like five years, 10 years ago, it was like everyone needs to learn how to code. Now it's like everyone needs to learn how to do Facebook ads. And I don't know what the next thing will be, but uh, maybe YouTube or, or something. Mm. <laughs> nice. Like that. What book or books had the biggest impact on your life? Um, definitely the biggest, the biggest impact uh, has been from uh, Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Like... I think in the 1930s, like to be a good business person, you couldn't hide behind email. Like you couldn't, um, you couldn't do Skype. You couldn't, you couldn't hide. Like you literally shook people's hand and you like gave them your word. And like, if your reputation was not good, then there's no way you could do business back then. So his whole book was on like, um, really like treating people the right way. And he has all these little like hacks in it. I think the first chapter is, um, the first chapter I think is titled like the per uh, the person's name is the sweetest sound to them. So you have it has all these little things where you like literally slap your forehead and you're like, oh my god, why haven't I been doing this my whole life? It's like the simplest things like that that uh, help you so much on building rapport. And uh, it's just an amazing book. Like I a lot of times I. I buy it for people if they haven't heard of it. I'm like, dude, I'll buy you the Kindle version now. It's two ninety nine. You have to read this. So yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's it's such a good book, and um, I've certainly recommended it. Uh, I've rec so I'm going to say I've recommended it to people just as a good book, and then I've recommended it to people who I think could do with a little bit of a personality upgrade <laughs> in terms of likability. But I've done it to both. So if I if you're watching this and I've given that book to you or recommended it to you. You could be in either camp. You figure it out. Um, what does the first 30 or 60 minutes of your day look like? And at what time do you wake up? Um, you know, I, I go back and forth. I think I go in phases of being like the 5 a.m. person and being the 7 a.m. person. Um, but in either case, there's usually four things that I do. Um First thing is I just drink a huge glass of water with some lemon and some salt, like for electrolytes. Um, big glass of water. Um, and then I'll actually take a cold shower, um, which I love. Um, here in the northeast of America in the winter, I mean, it's so fucking cold, like so cold. But um, it can wake you up without caffeine. Um, it's really good for um, um, stress and anxiety. Like after you get out, you just feel like a lion. Yeah. And it's like that's, you know, that's the hardest thing you'll do all day. So everything else is easy. And then I'll make some tea and then I'll just do like an eight minute quick meditation um, before I pack my bags and, and head to the factory. 
Um, and then I have about like a 45 minute drive to the factory. And usually I'll listen to like audiobooks driving or um, I'll do phone calls like with our attorney or I'll do phone calls with just whoever I don't have uh, time for during the workday. Fantastic. Yeah. And I love that you said it, you feel like a lion because I, I, I do the cold shower thing and it takes so much mental oh. whatever and I literally roar when it when it comes <laughs> it's a bit silly but like it comes out I'm like roar um but yeah but I, I'm, I'm curious dude like how do you find the mental willpower to like you know suddenly get it cold and certainly if like my shower you have to turn it like like it's quite significant you can't just hit a button and tense sort of thing like how do you uh, how do you approach that mentally so I I uh do you remember the movie 300? Yeah. There's a line where he's like, like, this is Sparta. Like, that's, <laughs> I replay that in my head before I go into the cold water. So like, this, this is water type thing. Or do you like change it or is it? <laughs> no, it's just like, this is Sparta. Like, just like going into a battle. <laughs> that's you how just, you get You up. just charge it. And, and so is it starting hot and switching cold or are you like straight in with the cold? Straight cold, dude. Dude. Like the whole way? Do you even like treat yourself at the end? Nah. No treat. Wow. Plus, like, you makes your showers faster. Like, I don't waste time. <laughs> My showers are, like, two minutes, three minutes long. So I can imagine. It's more efficient. Yeah. Yeah, man. You're, 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 yeah. You, you, you must, I mean, you know, you, you know what happens to men in the cold, right? You must be just, be like, perfectly shriveled all day, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, warms up in the afternoon, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's coming out. Little Eric's here. Anyway, <laughs> let's not get crass. Um, what? Uh, any advice for uh, your previous boss or bosses in general? Previous bosses. Um, I was very fortunate to have like amazing bosses. Um, I don't know. Like I, I think. Uh, I'll tell you that I, I guess there, I don't have any negative advice like for that. Or I don't have any advice for them, but I can tell you the things that I really appreciated sure. about about my early bosses um, from custom made that made an impression on me was that um, like bringing me out for like beers like one on one that you know that helped accelerate my my mentality and like growing up um, that and like one of the biggest things that I learned quickly was you have to manufacture urgency, like in everything that you do. Um, doesn't matter what it is. Like if you want to have a growing company, it's like, nope, we got to do this now. We got to figure out how to do it now, or we need to make the sale now. Like it's just manufacturing urgency in your business. Um, is like so important. So I think those are the biggest things, biggest lessons I learned when I was 22. Yeah, it was like um, treating me like a real person, like spending time, um, you know, uh, taking me out. Like it's really good to do that with all people in your organization from time to time. So actually today what I what I do now is um, the lunch place that we get food from is like an eight-minute drive. So I'll actually sometimes just bring people that I haven't caught up with in a while. Like, hey, you want to do like you want to do a, a car meeting, a drive meeting? We'll go get lunch and come back. So in total, it's 15 minutes. And it like sort of takes them out of their element. They can like let their guard down. And um, if there's something going on, like personally, we can like talk about it too. So it's been really effective, I think. Nice. A car meeting. Love it. Uh, where yeah. do you go or what do you do to get inspired? 
Um, inspired. I mean, I think like there's an app you may know it called Blinkist, mm-hmm. uh, which you know it takes three hour long audiobooks and it's like cliff notes for audiobooks, so you can listen to a whole book in like 15 minutes. So I get a lot of inspiration from that because they have all sorts of books, like they have you know entrepreneurship books they have personal development books they have philosophy and all that so you know i could do two books driving in two or three books driving in in the morning um and just you know maybe i pick up one thing from those three books that's really important um but that's usually what i like to do if i gave you five thousand dollars how would you double it in 24 hours five grand um 24 hours so yeah i'm probably not going to be able to organize other people to help me with that and so quickly so i think that man i think you just have to i think i'd spend i would buy one item for five grand and i would try to sell it for six. Oh, but you're saying doubling right oh yeah uh doubling i mean I, I would just I would sell something on Facebook. Like, if you're if I had one shot, like if there was a gun to my head, and I had to truly double it, get double my rate of return, then um, you know I would just use this. This is not like building a business, but I would use mm. some spy tools. I would find out what's the most popular item, and I would I would go all in. You know, I would take really good content. I would borrow a video camera. I would take like the best video I could within a few hours and sort of launch the campaign and, and just pray for the best, you know? Yeah. Nice. What's the best <laughs> advice ever given to you or the best advice you've heard? Best advice ever? Um, I think it would be like uh, about creating urgency, creating urgency with the sale. Yeah. Mm. I think for, for my for business, definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, you said that okay. one earlier on. I really th- that really resonated. Creating urgency with within things because a lot of the time, even if you don't have a deadline, right? You, you you know you if you don't have a deadline, you might be like, ah, well, it's it's not urgent. But if you say no, it is urgent. I'm doing it today. Then yeah, there and that's like they're not they're not going to teach you these things in school, like mm-hmm. you know. So I came out of school and I was like, I felt like an idiot because I was like not, I was kind of like spinning my wheels for a while. And so now it's just, yeah, create urgency, man, all the time. <laughs> what silly thing should people do more of? Silly thing? Um, I think uh, I think people should do, like, improv more. Um, I think there's just so much. Uh, I used to do it a little bit when I lived in Boston. And I think... It helps you get over your fears, you know, how it helps you think on your feet really quickly. It helps you like get over your fears of being in front of people and stuff. And I feel like by the end of it, you're, you're just resonating. You just feel like so good and so healthy that you did this thing. Um, so I would say improv and also I think hiking is really important too. And like leaving your phone away turning your phone off for like a whole day and doing a long hike. Um, 
you know, same thing. Your brain just feels like on fire afterward. And it, it allows you to like, you know, your brain to unta- untangle those knots if you have them. I like that. I like the untangle your knots in your brain expression as well. It's so true. <laughs> Would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? <laughs> well, I think uh, I think it would be more fun to just wallop on like a hundred horses and just <laughs> little horses and just beat the shit out of them. Uh, so I'd rather fight a hundred little horses than one big. Uh, wasn't it duck? Uh, horse-sized duck. Horse-sized duck. Yeah. Or a yeah. hundred duck-sized horses. Yeah. A hor- yeah. hundred. Just, yeah. just be more fun just to scatter them like minions or something yeah it's like baseball bat just <laughs> 20 at a time yeah how, how would you convince someone to do something good that they didn't want to do like something benevolent well something that you know is good for them or good for the world or, or whatever like we're not trying to trick people into buying shit here or something like that we're, we're trying to with you know you know someone Maybe maybe a friend of yours really needs to get their ass in gear and, and start focusing on their health or something like that, and, and they don't want to. Like, you know, a scenario uh, where you're trying to convince them to do something good, um, but, you know, yeah. they don't want to do it. I, I, have a, I have a thing called the shit sandwich. So there's, like, two, two pieces of bread, um, which are, like, um, positive things, and then you give them the shit in the middle, and then, and then you give them a positive at the end. So if it's like if someone's doing something wrong, you might start with, "Hey, uh, hey you want to you want to take a walk?" And I like I like taking walks with people. And it might be, you know what? I just wanted to let you know, like I think you're doing an amazing job on like this, this, and this. And then like their guard is down, like, "Oh, whew, I thought like I was in trouble." So it'd be like, "Yeah, you're doing great on this." Um, and instead of using the word but, because yeah. then their mind changes, I use the word and. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're, you're doing a great job, this, this, and this. And I think you could also improve on this. I noticed that, you know, maybe you're wavering here. So give them the shit and then give them another positive at the end. So like, and just keep it up, man. I'm like, here, anything you want to talk about ever, like I'm here. So shit sandwich. I like how you replace the but with the and there, because that's really difficult. And and they say that like the majority of people they don't hear the thing that's before the but. Like you know they right. only hear what comes after the but. So the fact that you're saying the and um, instead, yeah. that's nice. Um, and then the final question, Eric Toz, what makes you happiest? Uh, actually, um. I've been thinking a lot as I'm getting older, uh, thinking a, a lot about just general happiness. And I think it, I think what makes us happy today actually is not different than what would make us happy 10,000 years ago, which would be, um, just like health. So like getting really good sleep, like eating really healthy foods, like working out, um, you know, having that romantic partner, like these are really basic things. Like, I don't think we need to overcomplicate happiness, right? We have like love support. Uh, it's like Maslow's hierarchy. You know, if we're just getting our basic like biological needs met, then, you know, like whatever. So I'm trying to sleep a little bit more lately. Past couple days have been um, really good for me because I was traveling a lot. And um, I just feel so much happier when I, I get good sleep. 
Fantastic. Boom. So um, at this point, I, I want to ask you, do you have any asks or requests of the audience? Oh, man. Our, our audience is so high level. Uh, <laughs> um, I think that... Uh, I, th I guess I would just request like from people like, you know, look for opportunities doing the hard things that other people don't want to do. Like it's really easy to start Shopify and churn and make money really quickly. But, you know, try to try to maybe look at doing the hard things that take time. You may end up um, being able to bring more people into your cause that way. And um, you might be able to look back and, and build something that um, you really feel good about and, and can ref and reflect back on. So yeah, doing the, it's like research says that um, people feel way better after they finish a marathon than if they hit, it, then they win the lottery, a million dollars. You know what I mean? It's cause like they, they earned this, like they felt good about it and it took a long time to train. So people are happiest doing those things that are the hard things. Amazing. Eric, you've been fantastic, dude. Um, you, we've covered a lot of ground there. We've, we've covered the, the, the sales techniques, the, the raising funds, the, um, the, the shower lion, Sparta <laughs> fighter, um, and so much more. And I'm, I'm, I'm truly uh, grateful and appreciative of you taking the time uh, to be with us today to share your story. Thank you. Man, it's, it's been a real pleasure, Martin. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm obliged, you know, you have a lot of great speakers on this program and, um, you know, let's, it's exciting to, to watch your community grow. Thanks, man. Hey, Martin here again with an audio goodie bag of a bonus before you head off. First up, I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did, please subscribe and follow Smarter Destiny across iTunes, YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. It really helps spread our message and you'll get valuable content along the way too. Secondly, if you have an e-commerce business or are thinking of starting one, grab a copy of my new book, 1% Secret, recommended by Kevin Harrington and a host of other elite guys even better it's free just help out with the shipping cost so head to smarterdestiny.com forward slash book to grab your free copy thanks so much and i'll see you on the next episode